0: Malachi and we're here the final chapter the last prophet the last of the minor prophets the book of Malachi took place probably about a hundred years after the Jews returned from exile and it's about 400 years before Christ would come and as I mentioned this is the last that God speaks for 400 years and uh, you know some not in our in our Bible but they used to in the King James years ago and you have the Apocrypha, the Apocryca, the apocryphal books, blah, 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 those books. And uh, those, some people say, were written some during that time and different things. They're not inspired by God. They might be, some of them might be good historical facts from times and different things. But there's a difference between being writings that are inspired by God. And there's a test that Scripture has put through. And I believe that God gave us everything we need in His Word. And we, He didn't leave anything out. There's no books missing. We have everything that we need. And so there's a 400-year gap. And really, I, I titled this tonight, the book of Malachi, I'll Leave You With These Thoughts. It's a great way to close out the Old Testament. Now, this we look at Malachi, and look what it says in verse number 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. What do we know about Malachi? Are you ready? That God gave him something to give to Israel. That's what we know about Malachi. We know nothing else. We don't know who his dad was. We don't know anything else. Something that's very interesting though is what really what really gives something about the book is the meaning of the name Malachi. The name Malachi means my messenger. So what you got, and it's a great reminder for us, the message is far more important Than the messenger. The message of the gospel, the message of the book, is way more important than who delivers it. It's the book that matters, it's the message there. You know, Christianity tonight is not about great leaders or an impressive pastor or any accolades that you and I might have. It's all about the message of Jesus Christ. That's what the book is is all about the message is so important we get here you ever come to a long discussion or you're in the middle of something you're like i'm just going to leave you with these last thoughts and close out that's basically what we see here at the close of the old testament what's different is malachi preaches different than any of the other minor prophets he preaches in a way his style is that of disputation he disputes with the people How many of you, you can probably think in your mind, someone who likes to dispute? That's what Malachi was. His uh, his approach was different. I got several names that come to my mind when I think of that. And that was the way he did it. And as we look at this tonight, he makes a statement either by God or the Jews, then gives the opposing view and makes his point. And so we're going to look at that tonight. And we look look right here in chapter 1, verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the lord hath indignation forever and your eyes shall see and ye shall say the lord will be magnified from the border of israel and so as we look at this we see the first three disputes as we dive into this tonight we see evidence of israel's corruption and the first thing that we see as we dive in the lord had told them i love you isn't that a, isn't that a great way to open up a book We see that right there? I have loved you, saith the Lord. What a powerful way to start. You remember most of the minor prophets? It starts out with the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, and and get ready because judgment's coming. Malachi starts out completely different. I have loved you, saith the Lord. What a great way to start out the book. But we see the first thing, the first dispute is this, that Israel doubted God's love. They doubted God's love. He reminds them of his love and his protection and the promise that he made to Jacob we see right here. And what the Lord is saying, I've done so much for you, and yet you don't even see it. It's kind of like when a teenager comes to mom and dad and asks them for an iPhone for Christmas. They probably don't need it. In fact, I know no teenager needs an iPhone. I'll put that out right there. Mom, if you really love me, You'll get me that phone. But for 364 other days out of the year, you've clothed your kids, you provide air conditioning in the summer, you give them heat in the winter, you give them clothes, you do all these things. If you love me, you'll do this. Say, man, after all I've done for you, don't you realize how much I love you? You're a spoiled, selfish brat that's what israel was spoiled selfish brats god loved them let me ask you tonight (laughs) how is it when we doubt his love His word tells us he's loved us with an everlasting love he's proven himself over and over and over again but christian how often do we doubt his love it's no different than when your child says if you really love me you'll do this Like, haven't I proven my love to you? And God has looked into our lives and been in our lives, and God says, haven't I proven it to you? Hey, Israel, haven't I proven to you that I love you? I told you I love you. Here, look at some things that I've done. We see that they doubted his love, and we see that right away that Malachi reminds them of the fact God loves you. Number two, we see that they despise God's house. They despise God's house. Look at verse number 6 of chapter number 1 here. It says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altars. And ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, beseech God that he'll be gracious unto us. Thou hast been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you? That would shut the door for naught. Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it. In that ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said, also, behold, what a weariness it is, that ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And he brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus he brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath hidden his flock, a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing." For I am a great king," saith the Lord of Hosts. "My name is dreadful among the heathen. And now, ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to your heart to give glory unto my name," saith the Lord of Hosts, "I will send. I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. Yea, I have cursed thee already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon." Your faces, even the dung of the solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it, and he shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts, My covenant was with them of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. Look at verse number six there, and we've got just a couple more verses. The law of truth was in his mouth, and the iniquity was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity. He did not turn away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. and They should keep the law at his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. We are departed out of the way. ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore shall I also make you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. We read these verses, not only did they doubt his love, but they despised his house. And you say, what do you mean by how they despised the temple? They despised it because they gave God the least. You read through here and you see how for the sacrifice, they didn't give God their best. They gave him the blame, the, the blame, the the lame, The blind, those are the ones that they gave. And as we look at this here and what God wants, God wants His best from His people. What God's telling them is, You're giving me what's left over. You're not giving me the best. And basically, do we have to do this again? It was kind of like drudgery to the people. Oh, we're going to the temple. Here we go again. They would go, but they would do as little as possible, they would give God very little. And in doing that, and when we look at this, you look at verse number 8 of chapter number 1. It says, and if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the governor. So, President of the United States is going to come to your house for dinner. Hey honey, do we got any leftovers in the fridge so we can serve the President? You wouldn't say that, would you? Well, maybe there's probably some people in this world that would for our president. But no, you wouldn't. What would you do? You'd you'd get the very best. You get the best, whatever, or have someone cook the best for you and have it ready for him when he came to your house. And the Lord says, Yet you give me the worst, what's left. But if the governor came over, you wouldn't do that. You're lazy. You're carnal, you're covetous, the priests are lustful. Wouldn't do anything if there wasn't something in it for them. And what we see here with Malachi is he points to the people's motives. It is true they went to the temple. It's also true that they didn't give God their best. And then all reality in these verses that we read, they didn't even want to be there. It's true they offered sacrifices, but they gave God as little as possible. That's what they did It's true that they served, the priests who served in the temple, they served, but there was no passion behind what they did. And may I just remind you tonight, motives matter. They really do. Why do you serve God? Why are you here tonight? Why do you read your Bible? Why? I hope you would say because you love God. The love of, what did Paul say, the love of God, it constrains us. We see the people and we see the three disputations that we get going. We see the fact that they doubted God's love, they despised his house. And then, thirdly, they disregarded God's plan. Look at verse number 10. It says, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of God, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, his ma- the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts, and this ye have and this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, nor receiveth it with good will at your hands. Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy compassion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one Yet had he the residue of the spirit, and wherefore, one, that he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with another gar- with his garment, and saith the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. And do you remember how we were studying um, Nehemiah? Do you remember the close of Nehemiah? And how in the book there, Nehemiah goes back, and the people had heathen of the land, which they promised they wouldn't do. Well, we also see the fact there that the people divorced from the heathen of the land in the end of Nehemiah. And this book comes after that. And God says you do wrong and you try to do more wrong to make things right. And that's not God's plan. You see that there? You see how it talks about putting away? And they were involved in idolatry and adultery. And one led to another. And let me just say, when they married wrong, their hearts were turned away from God. You've got to be so careful in the relationships you have in life. People will influence And you need to be a good influence to people. And I'm not telling you to live a secure, guard life where you don't spend any time on anyone unless they're in church. You can't live in a bubble. They might want you to right now with COVID, but you can't live in a bubble. That's not life. It doesn't work that way. But be careful, those who influence. And guard against the wrong influences. Hey, young people, watch the friends that you have. Dating relationships, all of those things. But we see that the people, we see that they despise they, um, they questioned, they doubted God's love, they despised his house, they disregarded his plan. And then we see, and, um, and we look at these things, we say, look at these people, look at how this happens, and we see how they corrupted themselves. They doubted God's love, they weren't sacrifice they didn't care, they, di- they didn't want, they despised God's house, and they disregarded his plan. You've got to understand something, didn't the Lord bring them back from bondage? that they do the same thing all over again and yet once again they were doing the same things all over again Israel didn't learn their lesson to this point and we see here that we see this is the evidence this is how they were corrupt and we look at the last three disputes and we see how there's a remedy there's a remedy that the Lord gives So the Lord says hey this is the evidence of what's gone on I see the fact you doubt my love, you despise my house, you disregard my plan. But Israel, here's a way to get right. Aren't you thankful that the Lord gives a way to get right? There's a remedy. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But I want you to see these last three disputes. We see there's a remedy for corruption. What's the remedy? We see the fourth dispute that we see here is the promise of redemption. The promise of redemption. Look at what verse 17 says. I love this. Well, I don't love that this happened, but I just, it's just the way it's worded here. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. The Lord's like, you've just worn me out. You wear me out. You're too much sometimes. Isn't that what you see, right? That's what it's saying right there. The Lord's like, you, you wear me out. And I'm glad to see that the Lord gets worn out by people too. There are days when I'm done and I'm just like, I am worn out. Some of you that are watching online tonight or maybe you're sitting here, sometimes you just wear me out. Like the coffee with pastor, I love the coffee with pastor thing where I'm going to continue doing it. But I tell you, when I get done with a day of coffee with pastor, I am more worn out than preaching all day long. It just, whew. But It's good. But the Lord says for the children of Israel here, he's like, ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, Even the messenger of the covenant, whom he delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. We see verse number two: But who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in the former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And what a blessing that verse is right there. The Lord says, okay, we've seen the the evidence of things. You doubt my love, you despise my house. And we see, and as we look at that, they disregard God's plan. Then we see there's a promise of redemption. The Lord's going to provide for them a way to be refined And I love how it says in verse number 6 there, I'm the Lord, I change not. And God's plans do not change. So man corrupted, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God had a plan for mankind. And may I just tell you, by the time the book of Malachi came around and all the people had done all the things that they did so many different times, not following God's way, God still had a plan and God's plan was still going to happen. And praise God for that. And thank God tonight that we have an unchangeable God. He does not change. But God tells them, you're wearing me out, but even as you wear me out, I'm going to send a redeemer. And he's going to redeem you and purify you. And then we see number five. We see not only the promise of redemption, but number five, a plan for revival. A plan for revival. Now, this is the part that people don't like too much. Look at what it says in verse number 7. Even from the days of your fathers you have gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord. That's what revival is. Revival is a turning to God. And it says, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? So God tells them, now listen up. Let's make sure we put this in context. Sometimes we don't put this completely in context. But God tells his people, you doubted my love. You despised my house. You disregarded my plan. You've worn me out. But I've got a plan for you. And I'll redeem you. And I'll sanctify you. And you return to me, I'll return to you. How does the revival come? Are you ready? Look at what it says there. Israel says, but ye said, wherein shall we return? What, how can we return? Well, look at verse number 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, because ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And what's the answer? What does the Lord say? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. "...bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed, Free shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. What was God's plan for Israel's revival? Are you ready? To get their finances right with God. That's what it says. It's interesting to me. God tells them, get your finances right. Get your priorities right. Remember earlier how it said they wouldn't give God the best, they just gave God just whatever? Give God the best. Get your offering right. I can't explain it to you exactly, but this is truth right here. Our finances are directly tied into our spiritual state with God. It's true. I'll say that one more time. I'm getting some looks in the room tonight. Our finances are directly tied into our spiritual state with God. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's a direct connection between your wallet and your heart. Have you ever heard about the the soldier Sam Houston? Quite a character. To everyone's amazement, Sam Houston came to Christ. And after his baptism, Houston said he wanted to pay half of the local minister's salary. When someone asked him why, this was his response. He responded, my wallet was baptized too. And may I just say this, God will never have all of us until he has every part of us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You say, Pastor, tithing's an Old Testament principle. We don't need to tithe today. You know how many times I've heard Christians say that? It saddens me that Christians would have a heart where we're looking at getting out of giving to God. We should be looking at to God. Now, if you want to be one of those Christians out there that says the tithing is Old Testament, go for it, okay? And I want you to study some verses in the New Testament about something called grace giving. I think grace giving would go above and beyond the tithe to God. I think the tithe is a great place to start. But we claim we want revival, and God's people, hey, Lord, how, how can we return to you? are like, you've robbed, God said you've robbed me. And when we think of robbing, we think of someone going into a store with a mask on. Oh wait, not anymore, we all go into stores with masks on. I thought about that the other day, I was getting gassed somewhere, and these three hoodlums were walking into the, into the, into the hoodlums, I guess that's what, that's what I called them. But if it were to be seven months ago, and they walked into a mini mart with that mask on, I know something bad is going to happen. And now it's the the new normal. And you know something that's amazing to me? They tell you not to, that our masks don't do anything in smoke. because The particles are too small. I came from the state health secretary. You know COVID particles are smaller than smoke particles? So if a mask, a cloth mask does nothing for smoke particles, it will do absolutely nothing for COVID particles. The masks that do things would be those ones that they use, the N95, the better ones. They can hold, but it's just, a, it's just a gimmick all the way around. But you say, do I do it? I do it when I go into a store and do what you need to do. But it's just amazing to me that they, they come out. And then you had a, one, of the, one of the CDC guys say today that wearing your mask is even better than getting a vaccine. It's better. And if everyone wore a mask, this whole thing would just go away. I doubt it amazing what they all say but anyways we'll just leave that there and you can think on that one if you want or not but why did i get, Oh, i was th- talking about people robbing i'm like where did i get off on all that that didn't even have anything to do it's not even in my notes to go off on mass tonight i don't you know i don't do that too often but you would we think how it's wrong how many of you would admit that stealing is wrong i think we all would so it's okay to not give god what belongs to him something for you to think about you say pastor i don't believe in tithing then you talk to god and you make sure you do what god tells you to do but i'll tell you this if god doesn't have your heart and your finances he doesn't have your heart that's a big problem for these people right here we see that we see the promise of redemption we see the plan for revival and then we see number six we see the people of righteousness Look at the end of the chapter there, chapter 3, it says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet say ye, what have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, and that we have walked mournfully before the, the Lord of hosts, and now we call the proud happy? Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that fear the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. And we see that the people would get back to where they needed to be. But that came, after they got right, and after the revival set in, and we see how that all plays out. Which leads us to the conclusion. The last words from God for 400 years. Look at chapter number four. We're going to read all six verses. It's a long chapter here. Think about tonight. Some of you, you haven't read your Bible in a long time. You'll have read the whole book of Malachi tonight. Good job. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse number 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise, with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the sole of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest i come and smite the earth with a curse we see as we close out the book we see a look back in verse number 4 to Moses of the old testament the law but we see a look forward as Elijah. But who is that referring to? John the Baptist would come. What this does is we see all the way along throughout the Bible and in the closing of the chapter here we see a unified story that points to the future. A new prophet would come. Moses and Elijah the ones who will stand on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ. For 400 years, the heavens would be silent. No speaking from God at all. So about 400 years later, John the Baptist would preach about a coming Messiah. And he would come. Imagine reading this 400 years before John came. All you would know is that someone by the name of Malachi, and you know nothing about the guy, would predict that God was going to send another messenger, Elijah. When Elijah had already come years before, there's another Elijah that's going to come. And they just had to wait, and that messenger would point to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament began, remember the beginning of Genesis? In the beginning, God created everything, and it was good. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a choice. Do we eat the fruit, or do we not eat the fruit? And what did they do? They ate the fruit. Sin entered into the picture. Look at the final word of the Old Testament. Curse. I want to show you something that's special. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse number 23. Verse number 3. Revelation 22, look at verse number 3. And there shall be no more... The Old Testament was telling us the curse is still lingering. But Elijah's going to come and the cure's on the way. And that cure is Jesus Christ. If I could tell you, if we look at the whole Old Testament, which we've done over the past 39 weeks, this is basically what all the prophets, what everyone says from Genesis to Malachi. Behold, he comes. He's coming. And now 400 silent years, and the world's about to receive something that's humanly impossible, but with God very possible. God in the flesh. You know, the children of Israel, they kept messing up. And God gave them chance, and God gave them chance, and God gave them chance, and he gave them chance. And we even read here, You're wearing me out. Close the Old Testament. The Lord's like. I've given you your chance. You can't do it. You need me. You need my son. And my son will be your redeemer. He will take your place. And he'll take that curse for you. So you don't have to have that curse. The whole Old Testament just points. Jesus Christ and his coming well, on my-